Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. I didn't have it on my watch list, so I didn't see my CNBC uh, prompt that said earnings, and, I, and it wasn't on e-whispers, and you know, it was one of my secondary followings, and I'm, I was like, what have I done? That's the only time I think I've done that uh, ever, accidentally. Well, I th I didn't know it was a mistake. I thought you did it on purpose, so my whole reality crumbled. I was like, what is happening? This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group, founder and head trader of 10MinuteStockTrader.com, Christopher Ewell. The How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast is produced in partnership with my friends at FinClub.ai. I use the artificial intelligence data from FinClub as my primary indicator. So head on over to FinClub.ai to start your free two-week trial, and I'll even throw in some extra bonuses after you sign up. Now, the only place you can get your discounts and free bonuses is at FinClub.ai. That's FinClub.ai. Uh, I was right there with you. I, my, my reality was also crumbling. Okay, good. After, when I read that, I felt so much better. I was like, oh my God, did, did Steve change up on me right in the middle? What's happening? <laughs> I thought that's how, now I know how the baseball players have commit errors, you know, not catching a ball, how they feel like that's a rookie mistake. Uh, well, <laughs> just goes to show you it happens, It hap mistakes happen to everyone. Yeah, the irony is how it can still go either way. And position, position sizing was still right, so it, it it was a happy mistake. Like it a, was a happy mistake <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, man. I was on the way to the dentist and I saw that. I was like, what is going on? Why would he take? <laughs> and it was, it was instant too because I took it and then uh, flipped it over on my CBC watch list. And then, you know, the market closed and then it's like earnings after the bell. I'm like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. Well, good to good to speak to you both. Oh yeah, you as well, Greg. Um, so so Steve, you 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 fat fingered a a, a trade on that. Is is that what it is, or you just I didn't realize fat, that was going on? I think I fat brained. Uh, I, I know. I go with e, e whispers. You know, they have all the earnings, all the primary earnings. I always trade the biggest stock, so they're always on the e whispers earnings calendar. You know, and if I have questions, I'll Google it and search. And uh, and then on top of that, my CNBC app will prompt the earnings if it's on my watch list. But, uh, you know, I hadn't looked at my full watch list that day. I was just looking at the charts and uh, Monster Energy. I bought it going into the earnings accidentally. First time I've ever done that yesterday. <laughs> well, I guess it's a good lesson just to to take that three extra seconds before you place a trade. I, I told you about the worst trade I ever ever had and it, i did the exact same thing i mean it was horrible i think i don't i think i told chris or i, I told steve but i was long two contracts of the yen and i had a nice little trade on and i decided to take half off so i hit one and just hit sell and just walked outside i came back 
and in, I act instead of selling one futures contract, mm. I sold a hundred. Oh, gosh. Oh, geez. So now I'm 98 contracts, <laughs> full contract short. I came in, there was like a $68,000 loss. It's like, <gasps> what? What? What do you What do you mean? And then it dawned on me. And I was like, okay, you got to cover. And I couldn't get my yeah. hand to the mouse to cover. And it was right before the Bank of Japan was announcing something. And I mean, just bad luck and good luck. Right before I went, because, you know, I was just in shock. I was just in shock. And so I went to cover. I couldn't move my hand. I finally got my hand to move, and there was an instant big down move, and I ended up losing like $2,200. Oh, wow. Could you imagine being 98 full futures contracts short of the yen? No, that's a different level of uh, leverage. That'd be like buying 100 option contracts you want to buy (laughs) – one or ten you buy a hundred options of leverage my gosh i mean i had a nice trade i came back in i was expecting <laughs> to see a profit it's like sixty-eight thousand dollar loss but you know the irony is i actually this was back when i smoked i went outside when this all happened to have a smoke if, and i and i smoked half the cigarette and came back out if i would have stayed out there just smoked a whole cigarette by the time i would have come back in i would have been up about two hundred thousand dollars on the oh, position because it went crashing down. And then you would have thought, "Oh, this was the greatest trade ever." I knew exactly what I was doing, right? A half a cigarette was between the <laughs> worst and the and the best trade in my life. Ah, <laughs> uh, the, the I mean, that's kind of stuff that make you physically ill. Oh, I was. I mean, make I couldn't you, move. Make you throw up. Yeah, I I'm couldn't. Not. I couldn't get the mouse. And then when I went from a $68,000 loss to $2,200. I was ecstatic. I actually ran <laughs> over to my neighbors and had a beer. <laughs> oh, the stories. Oh yeah. So I guess, I guess the takeaway is take that extra five seconds, make you sure you're buying instead of selling or selling instead of buying and that the quantity's right. You know, I, I had something similar happen to me recently. I, I can't remember which stock it was, but I was um, I put on a credit spread, and um, I didn't think anything of it. And then uh, immediately afterward, I'm l- looking inside Tastyworks, and it has this little D next to it for dividend. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that's no big deal. And then um, the next day, I opened down, you know, the amount of the dividend, and it was like well deep in the money. And I'm like, if I had not taken five extra seconds to just look – if there was or wasn't going to be a dividend tomorrow, then I would have had this issue. And now I got to deal with this and close the loser. And I was like, what a what a pain in the backside. Not to the extent of Greg's $68,000, but still it was a pain nonetheless. I think, I think the only thing I had close to that level, I mean, it was uh, I went to buy 1,000 shares. I think it was TZA or TNA when they were trading like $10 a share or something. I went to buy a 1,000 uh, shares or something and I bought 10,000 shares Oof. and I walked away and lucky it was just a little bit of a win, but man, that was a three times leverage ETF and two, it was 2008, I believe. So that could have been crazy. Uh, it happens to everyone. And I think the one that happens to uh, most people, like everyone I've ever discussed this with, it's if they're short and they're, they're normally a long side trader and they go short and they're like, ah, it's going up too far. I got to get out. And so they hit sell yeah, so that they double up their short when they're really, <laughs> when they're really <laughs> trying to get out of the position. 
Oh, heard, that makes that sense. Many times. Have you, Steve? You've done I it. Heard, I've heard it. I've heard it many times because you can oh. reverse. You know, originally it's kind of like, wait a minute, I've got to sell something I don't own, then I got to buy it back, and it, it makes people's brains hurt. It's it's like trying to reverse <laughs> the order. Yeah, it's just muscle memory. It's habit. It's just you sell to get out. <laughs> yep. Yep. Crazy, crazy stuff. Good day today, huh? Wow. I'm, yeah, very, I think I'm at all-time equity highs intraday today. Oh, it's fantastic. Those are some big moves for just the three positions on. You have Monster and Space or Spice. I'm never sure how to, and, and. IWM. Yeah, IWM is a pretty large trade in my IRA. It's pretty good, uh, sizable dollar amount. Oh, nice. Yeah. I actually nice. just got out of a long IWM position three days ago when it was on its way down. I was like, yeah, I might get out. It, it had gone below the uh, the 10-day EMA. Uh, what day was that? The 6th? Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and get out. And then, of course, immediately rocket reversal. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what I got stopped out of my IWB trade on the same day. I got stopped out under the 10 day. I think it was on the 10 day and the 50 day intraday. I got signal 1050 crossover and IWM to get in. I'm like, well, that's great. Get out of one to get into the other. But mm -hmm. yeah, yep, that's right. That's right. So what are we talking about today? Hey, I think we're already doing it. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> we definitely are. I, I am bewildered. I mean, I'm bewildered that the market has had this kind of rally. I mean, I'm kind of bearish anyway, and I, you know, I take my signals when I take them, but I'm sure glad that I'm price action trading instead of Greg's, Greg's opinion <laughs> trading. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. In fact, um, the last three sessions have really made me nervous because it's like, it'll gap up and then go down, gap up and then go down, gap up and go down. And yesterday afternoon, I, I sent out a text to my, my people and I was like, I'm going to go ahead and just take out all my long positions because this like weakness in the close is really making me nervous every day. And then, of course, you know, it's up 2% today. So I don't know what that was about, but I, I, I wanted to err on the side of caution like you were talking about there, Greg, not not go in as deep as I normally do. Can you imagine telling somebody we're gonna we're gonna compete with the Great Depression, except we're gonna do it faster and have some of the worst macroeconomic <laughs> numbers in history, and we're gonna get back uh, in the Nasdaq will be positive on the year. I mean, who would even believe you if you tried to tell them that? Oh, who would believe any of this? If four <laughs> months ago I told you that everything was gonna be shut down, the market was gonna <laughs> lose 35 percent, you weren't gonna be able to go out of your house. I, I mean, you thought, yeah, what are you writing a script for a movie? <laughs> and then the, and then the market would rally. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am I've walked around in a fugue state for the last three months, literally just tr or two months trying to figure this out vis-a-vis -vis the market and life in general and what's going to happen. Or are there any consequences coming down <laughs> the line, which I can't imagine they're not, but I, that's just my that's just my opinion. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think it came down to what me and Chris talked about on the oil podcast is liquidity. You know, if the Treasury's uh, loading up trillions in debt and the Fed's willing to buy all the Treasury bonds and the Fed's willing to print whatever money it needs and create liquidity in any market, meet uh, municipal bonds or uh, you know injecting banks and loaning and the, the politicians will give away trillions like it's like a game of Monopoly. 
where all the money goes back in the pot and whoever lands on free parking gets it. So everything just keeps going and going and going. It's, and they have no fear of uh, currency uh, devaluation or collapse for the U.S. They have no fear of the deficit becoming unmanageable. So it looks like, you know, if liquidity is not a problem, that was the biggest problem, the Great Depression. You couldn't go print gold. I mean, the yeah. dollars are still backed by gold, and uh, they're just flooding the liquidity. And, you know, the poor perma bears, you know, God have mercy on their soul. They cannot understand this. They've been bearish since 2009, 2008, and they still can't even during a depressionary economic collapse in employment uh, and uh, government and companies shutting down and, uh, and countries could default, uh, states could default on their debt, and they still can't get the stock market to collapse because, uh, you know, the Fed and the politicians just will not allow it. It's so true. But I mean, are there not unintended consequences of, of something like this? It just seems like, you know, there's always an equation. There's two sides. I don't know. I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I, I can't come up with an answer, but my gut is there has to be some kind of unintended consequences. But I don't know. What do you two think? I think negative oil was the first consequence. Negative oil and really all the risk is on the U.S. sovereign debt and the U.S. dollar as a going currency. That's where they've shifted all the risk to as long as those things hold up. Uh, but you know, like you said, the risk of oil, like you literally would have to pay someone to take your tanker of oil or take delivery on oil because it's all backed up to the whole supply chain. I've seen maps supposedly where there's all these oil tankers that are backed up around the world that can't even unload their oil. I mean, that's one of the first uh, liquidity crises because you know you shut down transportation and you sh- airlines aren't 90 percent of now was it 95 percent of airlines aren't flying, people aren't going to work. Uh, worldwide and then you know you don't need oil to refine the gasoline so you don't need uh, to keep the flow going so they stop the liquidity in the supply chain of oil so i think that was one of our first true liquidity crises but like you said argentina could very well have a, a sovereign debt default during this too so and the weakest companies like j crew going bankrupt so i think we are seeing some of the first little consequences of this liquidity crisis for uh for money flowing in the right direction. Yeah, and and this my concern is like the the longer term aspect of this for like Steve, this is like what you and I talked about last time. Is it's it's like the economy shut down for you know just starting at three or four weeks, and then all these companies and and things are are going out of business, and um, that really started to pique my interest. Like if we can't do three or four weeks, what what's going to happen? And now. Now, like Texas is opening things back up and I have like I'm actually more scared now. I was talking to my wife yesterday, I'm more scared now than I was before, because now you've got all these people out there who are going places because they think it's safer. But there's zero decline on the, the deaths and infections and everything else. And it's like you're now releasing the population back out when there's nothing changed as, as far as the virus goes. And, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm like, it's, it's going to get worse. It's going to get significantly worse. And then you have all these businesses that are opening and they can only open at 25% capacity or whatever it is. And somehow they're supposed to maintain margins on having a quarter of the people they could in the store. It's, it's crazy to me to think about. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of sitting here twiddling my thumbs. Like I don't really, want to go out <laughs> even though we can i don't want to yeah i don't i don't blame you it's there's just you know pluses and minus to it all but yeah it's scary and i mean you know you talk about uh you know getting back 
maybe 25% of their clientele. I mean, how does a, how does a <laughs> restaurant that it's hard to make money in a restaurant anyway at full capacity be able to make mm-hmm. it at 25% and then, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, how I, I they are they just going to increase the prices of the food so much? Are they just going to run at a loss? Are are they going to make have enough to pay their 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 rent? And you know, then is their landlord going to be able to pay? I mean, I don't know. These are the things because I was you know I was in the real estate business and landlord for many many years and and uh, I just thought, boy, how would this work? But I guess with the stimulus and this, it helps, but. Is it is it just a stopgap measure? And when it's over, is is that when the rooster's gonna come home to roost? I don't know. These are the things that I think about when I'm hiking around the mountain. Yeah, it's just it's like winners and losers. You know, there's people that are sitting at home on their um, on their laptops, working from home, getting full pay. Mm-hmm. White collar workers are doing great. Then there's landlords in New York City that are under a, a rent strike where they have to have their money to pay for their larger mortgages on their buildings and they're not getting their renters aren't paying them so that's a liquidity crisis for them and uh it's it's a uh, it's the win- winners and the losers there's people haircutters that are starving they can't get unemployment because the systems are crashing on the websites they haven't been pay- paid months and they're getting put in jail for trying to go cut hair it's and, and they're trying to support their families oh i know like the the lady with the nail salon in texas right chris mm-hmm. you know these these people like I, it makes you appreciate all the things that you don't have when it's taken away. Right. I haven't had a haircut oh, yeah. since like January. It's, it's literally the longest it's ever been in my life. And my wife, she just cut my kid's hair the other day. She, she got my beard clippers and, you know, went off over both of them. And, uh, she was like, all right, your turn. I was like, I don't think so. No, I'll just keep it long. I'm, I'm not ready to go for the buzz cut yet. <laughs> I mean, I still have a little hair left on my head. I want to keep what I have for the moment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I shaved my head, so that's one issue I haven't had to deal with for sure. <laughs> Have you guys gained weight or lost weight during this? Oh, good question. So in my house, both of my kids have put on weight, and it's it's noticeable. And my wife said that she's gained weight, and I've actually lost weight. I've lost seven or eight pounds at this point. But for me, like I've been doing intermittent fasting for a long time now, and it's so much harder when you're at home surrounded by people eating all day and uh-huh. the pantry's six feet from where I sit. And so now it's like, I need my discipline twice as much more than ever. But uh, yeah, I've actually, uh, I'm the lowest I have been since I was a senior in high school right now. And um, I was telling my wife about it. I was like, Hey, I lost five pounds. And she's like, well, I found it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was lucky with my safety margin. I went I went vegan for health reasons about beginning of last year, 2019, and I lost 50 pounds. Wow. Never felt better, but I gained back five in the first month of quarantine, and I quit weighing after that. I was weighing about <laughs> once a month, but you know I don't eat any animal products or cheese or uh, anything like that, so I have a huge safety net for eating, snacking on other things, fruit and vegetables, and and uh, some things, so, but it's just such wow, a weird... Wow, that's fantastic. 50 pounds? Yeah, I didn't even know I had that much to lose, but, uh, yeah, I had some, yeah, I've got, uh, had some health issues, and that was the easiest way to solve them all. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. You know, Steve, I was, I was a vegan for about 14 years, wow. and about a year ago, I switched back over. 
I think I started <laughs> vegan when you stopped. I think I yeah, that. isn't that something? But it's so it's so easy nowadays versus uh, right after I become vegan, they came up with like Impossible Whoppers. You know, if you don't have a oh, grill, yeah. they're vegan. And then they have all this uh, Gardein. Of course, Beyond Meat, that's one of the things that really drew me to Beyond Meat as a stock as well because I understood the industry. Because it like, exploded within months of me going vegan. There was all these crazy options. Uh, well, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this makes sense now. When, when I would hear you talk on your weekly uh, newsletter about Beyond Meat, I noticed a bit of emotion when you <laughs> when you were speaking about Beyond Meat. Now it's all making sense. <laughs> yeah, I watched several documentaries about it. It was really I've always been a big animal lover, so that really all clicked for me with health. Sure, sure. And, uh, but you know, you got to make sure you have you know the protein. People think protein from animal products, and really it's amino acids that can come from all kinds of different sources, and that's where animals, vegetarian animals, get them from. You know, so that was it was a fascinating journey, though, but it was real nice to lose all the weight easily, pain free and all my blood test numbers turned around. And you feel better. I never felt better in my life. Aches hmm. and pains wow. went away. Of course, I was, you know, I was in the zone for so many years, the zone, very serious scientific zone where you eat a mix of uh, 40, 30, 30 protein and carbohydrates. So uh, so I in- implement that into a vegan zone. So I made sure I had enough protein at every meal and mixed nuts and beans and different things and worked out great. What about Holly? Is she doing this? Yeah, she did it for a, she did it for about a year. Now she's pescatarian now. What's that? Uh, she just eats fish for the most part for any kind of animal product. She eats fish and she eats some cheese. Huh. So she did add some things in for quality of life because I got to a point where I was like not drinking any soda and vegan and eating all of whole foods. And it got to a, I did it for like six months, lost all the weight and said, well, this sucks. I want to go eat something processed <laughs> or something. Have a cola. I almost went too extreme and had to rebalance it. Right. Wow. That's interesting. I did not know that. That's good to know. Well, congratulations. That's fantastic. It makes, I think I had a good edge on Beyond Meat with that and then throw some moving averages and what I knew about veganism and the Beyond Meat was a trade that really helped my year this year. Yeah. Oh, the 30% trade? Yeah, that was a, a, I mean, that was a great cushion going into the meltdown. Hey, let me ask you guys a question real quick. So what got y'all back in going long after, after the met meltdown, I guess you could say, earlier this year? Like for me, I was... Uh, February 27th, I got out, and I'm like, I'm not playing this game for a while because it was just way too lock limit up and down volatile. I was like, no, I'm not playing that. And then um, I was listening to the uh, IBD podcast, Investor's Business Daily, and they were talking about how, um, I forget what day it was. It was like, oh, today's the first inside day in X number of weeks. And I was like, oh, okay. I, uh, I'll start dipping my toe back in. And then I've been, I've been good ever since then. I guess that was... Right after the bottom, so around Mar- late late March and um, April was my best April ever, like best month of all time. Just nice. right after that, um, yeah, that was a great April. Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> so that 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 was a good time for me to get back in. What about you guys? Yeah, I had my first signal started going off. You know, I had a, I expanded my watch list to from 20 to about 40 items, and I put some pharmaceuticals on there, and you know, Walmart, Walgreens, things that could, uh, you know, uh, was it Zoom and uh, and things that could benefit from the meltdown, and uh, and I started having some 520 cross plus with the indexes as well, and I had some 520 crossovers for my first signals coming off the lows. It was the fastest signal. I had 520 crosses in several of my 
watch list that actually traded well off the 520. So that's what my first triggers were. And then my next triggers were some 1050 crossovers was the next tier up. And some of those stopped out, some of those worked out. And, you know, I was tearing up with moving average crossovers, you know, purely uh, focusing on a watch list of uh, some of the more uh, safe things to trade during the pandemic and things that all back tested well and I knew. So, so really it was my uh, just going with the price action, the back test and the 520 crossovers. Yeah, I'm so impressed with Steve. I mean, Steve, <clears throat> you know, I watch his trades all the time and I mean, he just stayed out <clears throat> of all the drama in March and just stayed in cash and just waited for his, his signals to come in. And I mean, that was pretty painless. You know, I, I watched in awe my, <laughs> you know, I didn't do too bad, but I, I did, uh, I did get beat up in March a bit, especially at the beginning. Uh, I started, in March, I started buying long-term calls on some of the best companies out there, you know, like Apple. And I started selling puts, ridiculous puts on really good companies like Disney and Exxon and, and so forth at really ridiculous levels to the downside. But the premium, because of the volatility was so high, I mean, the premium annually was 8 to 10%. So I, I did get in near the bottom on some of those, but with with long-term calls and, and selling, uh, you know, puts way, way out of the money. Um, and then I caught kind of, you know, we had that bounce. I bought that higher low, that first higher low bounce off of the bottom. And I did pretty well then. And then as we started to get back up to about that 50% retracement level, I got a little shy. Uh, and uh, I entered a few trades, but I missed out on quite a few trades because I, you know, again, because my my theory on the market uh and i had done well kind of off off of that that uh that higher low there um but i was a little tentative to to get back in i had i actually didn't i've had a few 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 normal positions i've been doing a lot of day trading lately and yesterday was about the first day that i i bought two or three positions in the same day yeah, I thought you're selling those call options in the heat of the battle was brilliant for a good worst case scenario is you buy the best companies at the lowest possible prices. Mm. Yeah, oh, the selling the yeah. sell the sell the puts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. Well, I figured, you know, if I buy Disney at fifty, I buy it at fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Disney had a crazy eight percent move yesterday. Hey, that was I, I don't know if y'all saw that. I, I had been looking at Disney the last few days, potentially going short it. It it was going down. It was below the 10 uh, daily moving average. And I was like, I can't short the mouse. Like, it's my <laughs> one stock that I'm like, I will never short this stock. It's Disney. And a day later, it's up 8%. And I was like, whew. I'm glad I, I have that one rule for that one stock. Don't short the mouse. <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing that me going through endless backtesting and studying charts for 20 years plus with all these different things is just like shorting is a tough game to play Ugh. in the stock market. Is that not the truth? It, it is. Backtest anything you want, look any way you want to look at it. You generally get beat up far worse with false signals than you ever can make even during it. Look at that last the drop we had in March, look how volatile. Can you imagine trying to be short and hold that short through March? It's just mind-boggling. Oh, yeah, I know. Steve, you 
I, on, on my show today, you know, I do the little psychology section and today I'm doing it on one of your posts, but I'll just mention it here. It's very expensive to trade confidently in the wrong market direction. <laughs> yeah, I've learned that. <laughs> Man, over my career, every single time, that's exactly what's beaten me up. That in position spot size. But when I decide that I'm smarter than the market and it can't go any higher or it can't go any lower and I get that just... I, 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 I'm so definitive and I'm like, this is it. And I make that black and white decision that this cannot. And then I, I, I get stubborn it's every single time. I, I, I don't know one time that it's, it's, it's probably ever worked for me. And that's why I just like, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm just trading my signals. I'm just price action trading, but it's very expensive to trade confidently. <laughs> Confidently is the key word. I, you know, I guess you can trade in the right direct in the in the wrong direction if you're fluid and open and quickly take a loss. I mean, yes. I know Paul Tudor Jones um, does a little bit of that. You know, micro losses if he's wrong. But the key word there is confidently. You know, I I had texted Steve one day and I was like, Steve, I'm so glad that you and I met because it is so much easier to trade with the trend. Then call yourself a contrarian trader and try and trade the opposite of every trend. Like, for example, I was, I, I'll never forget this. Well, I've had several shitty trades, but this one in particular, um, I was at the library with my son one day and I was looking at, at my phone while he's, you know, perusing through the books in the, you know, three-year-old section. And I saw the cues were up and I was like, oh, sweet. I better short it. What an idiot. <laughs> and and that that literally was my mentality for years is it's up i better go short or it's it's down i better go long and it, it really was coming across steve's books and learning about price action trading and trading with the trend that completely changed how i trade and 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 i would like way over overthink these things because it's like i have no idea which way the the trend is going what do i do how do i figure it out and it's like well use moving averages and it like it literally shows you on the screen i was like oh <laughs> i don't know why i made this so hard yeah once yeah. you go in the direction of the trend the volatility is the next biggest thing you're managing is how we manage the volatility you know how big will you trade but it's funny how things that you're stubborn in life, if you're an entrepreneur or in business or employer and you know, being stubborn and going in the same direction and having a, you know, believing you're right is a skill in some things. But in trading is flexibility is the primary skill. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I've read somewhere that, you know, whatever your big first gain is when you first start trading that's you're going to be partial to that direction if you did it on the short side like for the rest of your trading career you're going to be partial to the short side and vice versa and i just think different personalities some people they wouldn't even think about trading against the trend and then there's other people like you know one of my teachers dr alexander elder it's just in his blood to be a contrarian and so all of his majority of his trades are against the trend but it's just interesting how our makeup our personality makeup kind of defines what kind of trades we go after yeah i think steve said at one time the best trades are the most boring <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. most most money you just you get in a trade it goes in a direction and it just keeps going and you know that's the best or uh, the best trades you know you're just going about your life and you're just making a killing 
I don't think anything was easier than the 90s, the 90s with the uh, tech stocks and just going in more of an index type tech tech uh, mutual fund and just letting it run <laughs> for years. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Would you have made any different decisions? I mean, based upon what's happened in the last few months, would you made any different decisions, Chris, or how you approach it? Would you have adjusted Ooh. anything? How about you, That's Steve? That's a good question. You know, I would hate to say that I was scared out of trading, but I, I was like, I, I, when I saw these lock limit up and down moves, it's like I have no confidence in which direction things are going, and I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. So, I mean, I feel that that was a, a really prudent choice for me and my personality in trading. Um, I mean, of course, I would have loved to gone short the whole time because looking at it, it's like, well, there's clear short signals that you could have followed. But but I, I don't know. That would probably be the one thing I'd change differently is maybe just keep a toe dipped in it to see what happened. Um, but at the same point, like, I don't know how much stress I would have had on that because of these moves that were you know they were limit up and limit down and it's like what do you do with that i, I i've been listening to market was the new market wizards uh right now and them talking about how you know they they would enter a position and they go lock limit down and they get out of the position and go lock limit up and it's like i don't want that that kind of volatility uh i don't need that in my life <laughs> so exactly. it, it really really was best in my personality of trading to just step back like I did. Um, but to like Steve was saying, r maybe look for something I wouldn't have traded normally that would have been a little bit less volatile. That's probably the one thing I would have done differently is instead of just taking a step all the way back, being like ch change asset classes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Steve? I think the biggest thing I did, like uh, Chris is saying, I just stayed out of a lot of it. The volatility was just so incredible. And was then I went away from just single long-term moving averages. Like back in even the back past 15 years, you know, you could buy a 200-day moving average break. And if you either trended for you, you might chop once or twice and go in your direction or go back under it and stay there. But in this, it was slicing through. I've never seen so many false signals for a single moving averages. So I flipped two crossovers to filter out all the volatility. That was yeah. one thing I did. Went to, uh, moved over to more safer stocks that were holding up better. Yeah. We talked about, and I expanded my watch list, double the size, which could uh, affect me missing earnings announcements, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, was able to find the signals. Like I knew I was going to try to tear it up. I knew there was going to be great opportunity. I thought the market could very easily crash 50% down like it did for the internet bubble and the uh, 2008 meltdown. So I thought, you know, we get down 50%, the opportunity is going to be astounding, like a Disney, like you said. Disney could drop 50% in price if it went from, you know, 150 to 75. On the if it went back up to to uh, double again, that would be a 100% return after mm -hmm. falling 50%. So I thought mm -hmm. it's going to be amazing opportunity. So I started getting my uh, 520 crosses and 1050 crosses ready, so I could eventually catch the right ones. And I was ready to know it was going to stop me out. You know, I'd get in and stop me out, get in and stop me out. But at some point there was going to be some monster run-ups and that's what I was just licking my chops for. Well, I think you did really well, Steve. I mean, I, to me, I couldn't see any improvements. I mean, you just played it perfectly like a fiddle. I was so impressed. After initial getting stopped out of a bunch of things early on, it just knocked me in cash and kept me there for a while. And then a few chops came in, then had some nice, nice moves for a really great April. 
and uh yeah i think i'm just i'm fortunate that i get to live through the trade through and invest through the 2000 meltdown and the 2008 financial crisis and i think that educated me on the knowing how this is going to play out eventually and you know what a lot of people don't talk about or just maybe discuss enough i mean they do in market wizards is the emotional capital i mean the not having to go through the stress when you were just sitting in cash and not having to wake up and going oh my gosh what's happening what yeah. damage report you know what i mean i mean they, <laughs> that was i mean it was it was insane a three thousand point update i think we had and like every other day was a thousand or fifteen hundred two thousand point day i mean it, it was incredible I think the the height of stress is where you see a gap of like at 3000, you got the temptation to short. Oh, you, you start having those temptations like, Oh, I got a short. Of course it's going to go down. This is a huge way to make money and you get the temptation, but you don't. And then it gaps up 3000 on the Dow. You think, Oh my God, you actually get stressed thinking, what if I would have shorted that, you Mm -hmm. know, and you start getting stressed, not even in something, just watching the volatility stresses you are the ultimate for me is when I go make sure I'm not in any trades. When the market is so volatile or moves so strongly, I double check and make sure I'm not accidentally in anything. (laughs) And when you're not even. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, can I ask you guys a question? So I have found that whenever I look at my open positions, like it gives me a lot of anxiety, like looking at charts or things like that. Cause it's like, oh, is this working? Is it not working kind of deal? So I've got to the point where it's like, I don't want to look at my open positions. Like I have my signals, I'm not moving until I get that signal. So I don't want to go and see if it is or isn't working or, or not working. Do you guys do the same? Yeah, I think it's very important to know screen time. Like what Greg talked about is, you know, the positive mindset and, uh, and the, the psychology of trading. You don't expose yourself to unnecessary stress. If you're an end-of-day trader, there's no reason to stress yourself out all day about a position. You step in once a day, look at your positions, take your signals, and move on with your life. You know, mm-hmm. If you're not a day trader, you should expose yourself to stress or screen time more than is necessary, especially when you're starting out. And a position size, too, is like the volume knob on your emotions. If you get position size to a place you're still comfortable but can have meaningful wins and losses and dollars, that's a good zone to be in. To get your emotional knob turned down, you don't expose yourself to anxiety needed. But Greg does a good job explaining, you know, positive though. You got to stay positive. If you are up a big gap up, you may want to go look at your account when your gap, the market gaps up. It's a good positive reinforcement to see how you can win and how it feels. So you should feed your positivity, but uh, keep your uh, negativity and losses down to a minimum and what's needed. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Chris, when when you're saying you don't want to look at your positions, do you mean the P and Ls on your positions, or just at all? Well, because I trade mainly options, you know, it's not a one for one like the stock, right? Yeah. So that actually, in my opinion, helps me because then I'm not like, oh, I'm up X number of dollars today. Oh, I'm down X number of dollars because I really have no idea what the options pricing, what it looks like compared to the stock. I have, well, I have an idea, but I don't have like a, a number, but. Right. Like, like, for example, like if I'm long Microsoft or something, I don't like going and looking at what Microsoft did today because it hasn't hit my signal, nor has it got me out. So it's like if I go and look, then I might be triggered to have some anxiety of, oh, this is working or, oh, this isn't working kind of deal. So that's what I was saying. For me, I don't actually like to look at my open trades because it, it, I don't know if it, it just messes with my head. I guess it's a way to look at it because I I know that I know what my plan is. And if I go and I start 
seeing something, I might second guess my plan. Whereas if I just hit my alert, right? If I if I have my alert to cross whenever or alert to get out whenever something crosses, then actually going and looking at it doesn't serve me at, at all. Yeah, I mean, whatever it takes, everybody has their little tricks, right? As far as what works for them, whether they're it's wearing their lucky socks or not, <laughs> looking, not looking at the chart. I mean, whatever it takes to help you stick to the plan is what's important. You know, when I, when I teach, we do a lot of, you know, bar by bar by bar trades. And every time I do that, I think to myself, man, it would be so much easier to trade like this. Just you place your trade, you see what happened at the next day. Like it's so much less stress. And I say to myself, well, Greg, it's a, you can do exactly that same thing. But you know, when you sit and have to watch it all day up and down and, and, uh, um, it would be, <laughs> I guess I can do exactly that. Just place the trade, look at it at the end of the day. But I mean, I, I spend a little too much time in front of the, in front of the screen. Yeah, exactly. That That's, that's where I was thinking too. But it's hard for me too, because I, you know, I still work corporate finance, and so it's real easy for me to just click over on that other tab and see what's going on. <laughs> that's that reminds me of an Ed Sakota quote, which Ed Sakota is probably the greatest individual trader of our time with his uh, returns. I think he's averaged forty percent over thirty plus years, and everybody ever invested with him was a millionaire. I think he's retired from managing money, but he said uh, back in, you know, he traded back a long time ago in the seventies. Uh, and, and he said, having a Quotron on your desk is like having a uh, have a slot machine on your desk. Like oh, he, yeah. He was an end of day uh, commodities trend follower. And uh, the more I've talked to people that have actually been one on one coached by Ed Sakoda and you know, messaged me and uh, known of him, it's like his entire trend following system is just based on risk reward ratios. Now, he took some guy that talked to me, said he asked him how to trade Apple and he didn't even look at the chart or anything. He said, well, you know, just buy Apple when it breaks a. I don't remember what the exact number was. It might have been, you know, breaks a 50-day 50, 50 high and then sell it when it breaks through a 25-day low. And that was it. And I heard that in real time. I thought, that's crazy. How can he do that off the top of his head without even looking? He doesn't even trade stocks. And I followed the trade, and that's what he did around the time uh, it took off like a rocket. And it worked out beautifully. And, and that's what the greatest trader simply used the, that kind of a system. That's incredible how... And he just believed the end of day prices. I heard many stories, you know, from market wizards and stuff where uh, somebody would know he was long something. They'd be locked limit up day after day after day. And, you know, they were shorting it or they couldn't get out of their short. Uh, they were trying to figure out when to buy the pullback. And Etzakota was just sitting, sitting calmly locked in the direction of the trend for days on end. <sighs> that's just and, and that's just incredible that that's how one of the greatest traders alive trades. He's not sitting there. He is. So uh, that's just incredible. It can be so simple. We're just <laughs> we're just our own worst enemy. Yes. We are just our own worst enemy. I see it time and time again. And it it it, it just be so simple. I, I totally agree with you. Um it, so so that's why I've really backed down on my my screen time is is for that exact reason. So it's like and, and it's funny, too, because, like, I have to sit there and train myself, you know, like uh, train your dog to be, you know, <laughs> outdoor trained or whatever. I, I have to just like, hey, look, there's no reason to look at this. I don't have an alert going off. There's there's no point in looking. It's just going to give you anxiety. So, yeah, 
just hang out. <laughs> and, and you know, it does have a lot to do with position position sizing because I I've changed up my position sizing a lot in the last I don't know two years or so. And now, like when I get a loss, I don't even care. <laughs> I look at it and I'm always like, okay, that's fine, and move on. And I that I mean that's the opposite of what I was before. Where I remember there were so many nights I'd wake up just like, oh my god, what have I done? You know, and nothing's actually happened. It's all in my head, you know. But what if what if it goes down? You know, I've just it's too long or whatever. One yeah. thing I did I had to quit doing about a decade ago is quit watching financial news. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it can get narrative stuck in your head and can completely mess you up with the price action. And I had to just completely I'm just now getting back into watching some Fox business just for entertainment. And I did find CNBC entertaining during 2008. It was like watching sports every day. But, uh, you know, it's dangerous, especially early on, to get yourself exposed to too much information that could affect your judgment and not have you follow a system and not take your signals or get a bias. That's the other thing most dangerous. So many people on Twitter had such a bearish bias. Which oh, I yeah. Was, I was like, Greg, I believe it was bearish. This is a freaking Great Depression, second coming. We should logically see a 50% drop overall. And, uh, you know, that's what I believed, but it had nothing to do with how I was going to trade with the signals. Yeah. So. You have to be very careful to get a narrative stuck in your head or get a, a bias because of what you believe. That's another big psychological weakness. 100%. I was listening to a podcast from Jeffrey Gunlock. And, uh, you know, I mean, obviously he's well-known and excellent financial guy and and good macroeconomic uh, from DoubleLine. And, you know, he's short the market right here. And... It makes you think, you know, <laughs> like people like Warren Buffett not buying here, people like Jeffrey Gunlock being sh- being short. I mean, that seeps into your head. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah, now whenever I'm going against Warren Buffett or the Fed, I know, well, that's not good. I had I posted this this button meme that had, you know, two different buttons, go fade Warren Buffett or fight the Fed, and Facebook flagged it for uh for dangerous, for dangerous content that could cause physical harm. <laughs> oh, I saw that. I, w- I wasn't even <laughs> sure. That, so that was real? Yes, Facebook. Rem- and he threatened to shut down my Facebook trading group for posting it. Well, Steve, you were dangerous. <laughs> what I guess is that dangerous to fight Warren Buffett <laughs> on the Facebook would, would remove it. <laughs> Maybe it's a bigger conspiracy that we don't know about, Steve. They were watching you. Maybe you're onto it, Steve. They're yeah. like, Steve Burns is onto us. <laughs> Shut him down. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I've never had a warning like that in a, in a 10 years on Facebook. It's, it's hilarious. I couldn't believe they chose that of all the posts to ever ban me from. Because it had the word fight in it? Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah, I guess that was the algorithm. Maybe that's what fight violence. That's crazy. Wow. I had my first little run in with censorship this year and I'm not sure what I even did. I don't know if I, I'm not even going to say the word, but you know, the situation that's going on right now on my podcast, uh, because they weren't sharing it out to my subscribers. And I thought, and I actually talked to somebody, I was like, I show my friend's website. Could that be it? That's your website, Steve. Uh, I, I thought maybe that's why they were doing it. Or maybe because I mentioned the words of the other thing that's going on right now. Um, but yeah, luckily I got out of YouTube jail, but that's <laughs> disconcerting. I'll tell you what, when you don't know what you've done, it's not like I swear on the, the podcast or 
can't, I couldn't think anything I would have possibly done, but I thought maybe it was sharing Steve's website or maybe it was mentioning the unmentionable word. So I'm <laughs> really careful about that now. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't realize that Steve was such a troublemaker here. I mean, I have I to know. have him back on the show anymore. <laughs> edit out the word fight or fed on the or edit out fed fight on this. I think every word Steve said needs to be edited out. <laughs> <laughs> Just several minutes of blank airtime. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, it's nice that the markets are up. It's nice that they're green. It's nice that I know Steve has some good trades today. I know I'm having some good trades today. I, I hope you are, Chris. Uh, well, let me go on my account that I don't want to go into unless I get in a <laughs> well, don't do it. <laughs> triggered it. <laughs> you baited me on that one. Yep, I'm up for the day. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I tell you what, April was incredible. Uh, I'm so grateful that I had decided to, to jump back in because it it uh, completely turned around my account. Um, so so yeah, I'm I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, just hoping to to keep the win streak alive, I guess you could say. But you know, also following the signals, you know, having a plan in place and following those signals, and then taking those tiny losses, like I was thinking about earlier, they don't even impact me anymore. So it makes a huge difference. So much of it comes back to the math. So much of it. Hundred percent, it does. I, you know, we were talking earlier about things that we would change. The one thing I was a little late on doing, but luckily I, I did eventually was adjusting for position size, and adjusting for volatility. And you know, the more I thought about it, it's just like you know, regardless of what the volatility is, you should have that maximum loss. Just buy few, you know, buy fewer shares if the volatility is higher. You know, just to standardize everything. That's the one big. I've been trading for 24 years, but in this, you know, when things go on for years and years, you're not as detailed to them. But this really brought it home. Was regardless of whether volatilities are high or volatilities low, you know, position size accordingly so that you're just your loss is standardized if you're taking a thousand dollar loss you're taking a thousand dollar loss whether there's no volatility or big volatility and just keep it all tight yeah i agree i agree completely that's one thing i've gotten to do, just standardization you know i want to maybe lose five hundred dollars or make fifteen hundred two thousand you know or I mean, I'll just try to keep that risk reward ratio right. If I have a potential of losing several hundred, I want to have the potential of making at least double or triple that. And then every now and then five or six times that. And that's really all profitable trading is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, we've all learned a lot through this. And, you know, if we survive it, we'll be better <laughs> traders. I mean, any adversity that you go through or this kind of stress and this kind of market, if you can come out the other side, uh, even if you've lost money, you've, you've gained, you know, you've gained some insight that will help hopefully help you in the future. Oh, that's, that's really, really well said. I mean, if you can get through this market and keep an account without having blown it out, you know, there definitely were some lessons to be learned along the way. So yeah, good point. Yeah. And if you're positive for the year, you are likely beating Ray Dalio and crushing buy and hold investors and beating the SP 500 index. And those are not easy feats. I assure you. Yeah, Ray Dalio was down 20% last time I checked. Oh, wow. And he's got one of the best long-term stable records of anybody. He said he completely caught him flat-footed. He did not comprehend how this happened. What I noticed he said was, I saw it coming. I just didn't express it in a trade. Oh, that's smart. 
but he was he was so bearish the end of last year i mean he was like bearish and uh he, he kept flipping you know he but he was like bearish way too early well, that's what I mean. He was he was bearish. I think maybe he got stopped out. I actually have a client that knows him, and he kind of he was telling me about it, which was kind of cool actually. Uh, but uh, he just said he said I saw it coming, but I didn't express it in a short trade, which is the worst when you have a good when you have a good trade idea and then you don't express it, and then it and then it does exactly what you thought it was going to do. Yeah, a lot of people don't understand, too, you know, the Paul Tudor Jones big short where he doubled his entire capital and management in October 1987. He was bearish since 86, and he kept having issues with getting stopped out. And Jesse Livermore started being bearish a year before the stock market crash. And even the guys, the best short sellers that ever lived, went through a long period of time, sometimes up to a year, getting false signals and false signals and false signals before the final collapse came that they knew was coming. But right. they couldn't time it, and those are the greatest short sellers to ever live. Yeah, really goes to show you people like that uh, individual retail traders. Boy, how you know how are they going to do it if those guys can't do it? You know, there's so much the the, the emotionality that comes into it, right? Because because it's so easy to go onto social media or CNBC or anywhere else and hear that narrative, like I mentioned earlier, and like get that in your head. It's like, oh, I got to be short. Okay, um, but the stocks are, keep going up, so I'm just gonna go ahead and take this short position here, or not take any position, or whatever. So yeah, that that I've done a lot of cutting back on my scrolling on social media. Um, I've deleted all the CNBC apps and things like that from my phone. Steve, I don't know how you actually keep that <laughs> on your phone because every time every time I open it, I'm like, okay, here's someone's opinion on on whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I quit, so, I, quit, I quit watching CNBC completely because of that one reason you're saying all the talking heads and all the ridiculous opinions. But I just yeah. use it purely for informational purposes only, quotes and news only. And I still I don't trade the news. I just uh, use it to be just to know what's going on. It seeps in. I don't care who you are. It <laughs> seeps in. If you this person said this and that person said that. And I mean, I remember looking at a st statistic that when you have a huge waterfall move down, like obviously like we did and we have the rally, 70 percent of the time you test that bottom, you know, and that narrative is going to get in your head, too, as far as taking yeah. your call signals. Yeah. Well, and that's I why having the plan makes it so much easier because now don't worry about it. What I found so fascinating is within days of the bottom. All the everybody I knew was people I've known for forever who never even talked about the stock market were messaging me about should I get out of my 401k or they're uh, trying to buy the bottom. The best poker player I know was talking about buying the bottom within days of the bottom, and the best sports better I knew was messaging me about buying the bottom within probably within 48 hours of the bottom. And they were the only two I'm thinking their way their brains work with sports betting and poker. They knew the risk reward ratio was so good at that point. It was it was absurd. But all the everybody else I knew was wanting to dump all their 401ks and uh, their investments. It's irony how those those uh, pivot points work out. Yeah, this was a, a master class in trading and psychology over the last few months. Mm -hmm. And just fear of health. On top of that, the fear of health and the collapse of uh, ecosystems and supply chains and uh, businesses and. It was, it was a peak fear of anything I've seen in my lifetime. It's absolutely right. It is absolutely right. Yeah, it's been an interesting time. And 
Yeah. Well, guys, I think we could call it a day here. This has been a really great conversation. This is what I was wanting all along was somewhere where we could come and just hang out and chat and not necessarily have it be a, uh, a structured thing, but more just like what's going on and, and in our worlds and, you know, have, uh, have it be an episode for our, our respective followers to kind of just be a, a fly on the wall and hear our opinions and, and uh, get some backgrounds and things that they, they wouldn't get elsewise. So thanks for, for doing this again. I, it's so great to be able to, uh, to chat with you guys like this. This was great. This was cathartic for me. <laughs> yes, it was. It was therapeutic. It was. <laughs> it was for sure. Well, thanks for putting this together, Chris. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. Great. My pleasure. Um, thank you guys for coming on and making time for me. Always great to talk to you guys. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And before you go, remember to head on over to finclub.ai to get your two free weeks of artificial intelligence stock picks. You've got nothing to lose and only the most advanced AI to help you trade with confidence at finclub.ai. That's finclub.ai. 10minutestocktrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice, tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. Tim and StockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit timminutestocktrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.